The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast, where we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me once again, it's the AI car dealership employee himself, James Baggett. Hello, John. Yes, I haven't been fired by AI just yet, thankfully. <laughs> well, I should hope not, given that you're paying it. Um, so how's your week been, James? It's been good, John. Thank you very much. It's been incredibly busy, um, not really with car dealer magazine work, but mostly AI car dealership project work. Um, and that's because we've been trying to buy cars this week, haven't we? And it has been rather hard. Um, we've been looking to buy them using our the, the metrics that we had before, our kind of buying profile of we wanted auto-trader retail ratings to be quite high. We wanted days to sell quite low. Uh, we wanted market health to be high. Basically, the same cars that every other dealer in the UK wants to buy. Um, so we've been trying to do that. Um, I tried to do it with the help of AI, and you tried to do it with the help of a laptop in your own eye didn't you um and i'm not sure quite how that um i'm not sure quite how that works it wasn't i'm not wanting to give away everything that's going to be in the video that will come out tomorrow morning saturday morning on our youtube channel uh but it wasn't particularly successful for me was it no it was not particularly successful for you um which i sort of uh i i hate to be smug because someone on youtube told me off for being smug uh recently they did, didn't they? Uh, <laughs> but i am right i am right anyway um i hate to be smug but yeah i kind of did predict it was going to be not as easy as anticipated i will say i mean ahead of that i did cheat a little bit and i tried to use ai just to see if it could be done because i thought this would be a very long-winded video to find that it can't do anything and i managed to get it to do sort of what i wanted it to do i.e slim down uh, the list of cars from a 1500 auction sheet down to about five that might be worth looking at um and it did that but then the second time it did it it started hallucinating and started inventing cars mm. and that was slightly less helpful um when i then went back to the auction sheet and tried to find this random number plate it had come up with so it's not foolproof is it no i think we're finding that ai can be helpful in parts with running a used car dealership but in other parts a bit of a hindrance especially when it went on strike when i asked it to do some stuff this week so it was rather rather frustrating but i've done some other things this week john it's not just been about that i had a very good meeting with um, dealer kit they're the dms provider that we've decided to use for um the clever car collection i must say absolutely fantastic team of people um it's a dms that's run by car dealers um this is not an ad by the way but it will sound <laughs> like one um it's a dms provider run by car dealers and you can tell that when you use the system um it's really clever um but i had a real brain aching day on wednesday they came down here and showed me how to 
how to do everything on the system. Uh, and I haven't concentrated that much since school. Um, so I was uh, had a bit of a headache at the end of the day. But no, that, that's been good. Um, and also, um, I've had some success, John, with buying and selling cars. It wasn't AI related in any way. It was a part exchange that was offered to me uh, by our friends at EV Experts, a Seat Leon 1.6 Ecomotive Sports Tourer uh, in Doom Blue, no less. Um, I picked it up yesterday, Thursday, um, advertised it yesterday evening, took a deposit on it this morning, John. Jesus. Okay, right. Well, that's not bad going. No. And the guy is coming down to see it all the way from South Wales tomorrow. So I'm very looking forward to showing him that and hopefully, fingers crossed, chalking up car sale number three. So what was the retail rating of that one? Uh, it was 56, John, so it sort of throws our kind of plans out of the water, doesn't it, a little bit? Yeah, so basically the fastest selling car that you've had is one of the statistically slowest selling cars. Yes, yes. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that. It might just be, uh, it, it might be a flaw in the matrix, as it were. Probably, probably yeah. a one-off. Um, shall I introduce our guest? Yes, please. So... Our guest this week is none other than founder of the Car Dealer Podcast, Rebecca Chaplin. Rebecca. Hello. Lovely to have you on as ever. Thank you. I've been sat here like desperate to say something, but <laughs> moments passed now. <laughs> well, thank uh, the reason you're here, obviously, uh, is is firstly because you are the founder of the uh, Car Dealer Podcast and everybody loves to hear, hear from me. But also uh, the guest that we had on, five minutes beforehand um, didn't appear uh, and you have had to be drafted in at the last minute, haven't you? So thank you for filling that gap. It's much appreciated. Yeah, I'm not sure what I actually know about the news this week. When you asked me, I panicked a little bit. So I'm hoping that you choose stories that I have read about. Um, if not, I'm sure you will give a very balanced and interesting opinion on them all, as usual. Yeah. Yes, and happily we explain everyone as we go through, don't we? So okay. what have you been up to this week, Rebecca? I've been up to this week. I don't really know. I can't believe it's Friday already. Um, I can't believe February already. I oh yeah. I've generally been helping James with picking up cars. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I you've been the equivalent of like the man from BCA that you paid two hundred and fifty pounds to. I'm like the secret part of the AI, AI car dealership. It doesn't feature at all in any of the videos. Uh oh. Or, or the budget. Yeah. Or I know, the budget. Expensive. Or um. And of well, course, maybe... go on. Sorry, I was just going to say that um, I've been working on our Nada trip, sending people out to Nada for that that we just started. Yes, yes, yesterday. Oh, uh, then quite... Nada has started, is it? Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah it started has. yesterday and goes on until Sunday. You clearly haven't been on LinkedIn, John, because every single person uh, who is in Nada is talking about the fact they are in yeah. Nada or at Nada. <laughs> Um, I don't really use LinkedIn. I'll level with you. I'll level with you. I don't um, really need to know what time you wake up, James, and your little, you know, videos about your routine of the day. I'm sure you do those. Just I, like don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. Five a.m. He's not reached that point yet, but it's definitely coming. Well, I'm going to swiftly move us on from that and start talking about the news. Then, um, so if you haven't listened before, James and I are going to run through our favourite stories of the week. At the end, Rebecca gets to decide which one of us chose the best stories and who is the winner i won last week so i am going to go first um i'm going to go with i'm going to try and combine a few here and i'm going to start with that thing we never talk about evs 
So we've got a couple of things on our website this week, as usual, about EVs, one of which is a sort of investigation uh, piece, which is entitled why 2024 will become a bitter ev battleground so we've eased you in there nicely um and do car buyers really want electric cars you can probably guess where this is going to go uh just from that title um but this is talking about the 22 percent ev sales target um and how car manufacturers and dealers are going to hit it and what what tactics they're going to put in place for that so I assume it was James did a lot of research here. It's got his name on it. Um, so he's sure done a lot of investigation. Well done, James. Talking to various industry figures, Cap HBI, uh, all sorts of people um, about. <laughs> There's a lot of general people. car dealer feature, Cap HBI, yeah, and Cap some HBI. other people. Uh, we talked to Tom Barnard, editor of Electrifying.com, who you would think, you know, quite an EV advocate. Even he was kind of saying that actually there's going to be a bit of an uphill battle now because as far as he's concerned, all of the early adopters have adopted now. I mean, presumably they need to upgrade their cars at some point, but that's fundamentally that sort of wave is over. And now it is a case of trying to win hearts and minds of normal car buyers. Um, Steve Fowler of Auto Express, he says that one of the most popular stories on their website is a list of the best EVs. So there's a there's a lot of interest still in EVs, EVs, but it doesn't seem to be necessarily converting into people rushing to go and buy them. So the long and the short of this is what's it going to come down to? It's It will come down to, say a lot of people in our piece, incentives. So chopping money off, uh, bundling in EV chargers is a good start, but that's not really enough, is it, James, as far as they're concerned? Low-rate finance offers is quite a tempting thing that we've seen quite a lot of at the minute. Um, but I'm going to move on from this piece and also talk about our interview with UK boss of Honda, Rebecca Adamson, because uh, Batch, in a, in a video interview with her, which you, what we, you can watch on our website, pressed her on EVs because Honda currently have one EV for sale, which is the ENY1 crossover thing, which looks suspiciously like an HRV, but is apparently unrelated entirely. Um, and they are confident, Rebecca is confident, that they can hit their 22% sales target just from one car in their range. And the way that they are doing it is to price match it with the identical looking HRV regular petrol hybrid so they have let's um, well i wouldn't like to say how they've worked out the pricing but fundamentally they've taken a, a chunk off the price of a um of the eny one electric car um to match the hrv but they reckon she reckons still there will be across the industry some pre-regging and etc i'm going to hand you over to james now who i'm sure has an opinion on this particular subject mm -hmm. Oh, I certainly do, John, um, which is why I wanted to write the feature in the first place. Um, I wrote this one on Sunday because I had so many comments come in. I needed some proper headspace just to think about it and and, and get it all together in one piece. And I found it absolutely fascinating to write this one. Uh, there was a few things that really stuck out in my mind. And first one was the EV sales targets as part of the ZEV mandate. Um, well, I managed to find them on on government websites somewhere. Um, and the... the, um, the Obviously, 22% is well known for this year that the number of cars the manufacturer needs to sell of their of their fleet needs to be 22%. Well, that gets dramatically higher up to 2035, where they 
believe um, the last five years of that, we don't actually know what the targets are, but they believe it's 100%. But it does show you that in five years' time, half, more than half of a manufacturer's fleet has to be EV, 52% by 2028. A year later, 2029, 66%. 2030, 80%. So, you know, they are very, very big targets. And I think this 22% one this year is going to be very hard. And you, you I'd, I had this story, obviously, on my list too. And I had combined it like you have done with the Honda one, because they are very closely linked. Because what Rebecca Adamson was saying is how they, how a very clear explanation from a manufacturer, how they're going to have to incentivize buyers into these into these vehicles. And I think you, you you picked up on the point from Tom Barnard too. I was surprised by that. I thought he was going to be really on the side of EVs and really talking it up. And even he says it's too big a leap for many motorists currently, especially those who do not have access to home charging. And I think even when you've got the EV advocates, the editor of a specialist electric um, vehicle website saying that it's going to be tough this year, you know it's going to be tough. The other point I'd just like to make on this one is we looked at the winners for this year and quite clearly everybody said it was the Chinese brands. They think they're coming who are bringing all electric cars, uh, brands like BYD. Um, But I think the big impact is going to be what actually happens to used EV prices. As we know, last year, there was a dramatic fall in EV prices off the back of... um, some falling consumer demand. Um, they Some vehicles lost up to 50% of their value in nine months. Well, what happens to those electric vehicles this year when manufacturers are either bringing down the cost of the new cars or heavily incentivizing them uh, for new car buyers to go out and buy them? Where does that leave used car, used electric vehicle prices? Now, we mentioned this morning on the website, Motors News, that 3% drop from electric vehicles in January alone. They were the biggest fall in fuel type. And I think that's going to be the story of this year. I think electric vehicle prices are going to fall further because if you're bringing down the price of new, it's only going to have an impact on on used vehicles. And yes, we spoke to lots of experts. You mentioned a few of them in there. Ian Plummer as well from Auto Trader. Some other valuation experts from Glasses um, have also all highlighted that this is a concern. This drop in new car prices is going to hit used car prices. So a bit of a warning there to dealers um, who are already quite scared of buying electric vehicles. If they do start to stop them now, they need to get rid of them pretty quickly uh, if they're not going to suffer those big falls in falls in prices. I would like to think, for a bit of positivity, that it's it's hopefully not going to be like this forever in terms of consumer sentiment towards EVs, because that is what the problem is at the minute, really, isn't it? It's consumers aren't really interested in the the idea of an EV. In fact, most of them are scared of an EV, understandably, uh, because of the charging situation and range and so on. My hope is that will improve, whether that's down to the technology. You know, we'll see more and more EVs coming along that have fundamentally better ranges, not your Audi, but many will start to appear that have much more, you know, in the tank to get you wherever. Um, I just, I don't, I'm slightly wary of talking EVs down because we, you know, we have to remember a a year, no, not a year ago, just over a year ago, uh, EV prices went absolutely mad, didn't they? And things like use uh, Nissan Leaves and all these things in the, in the times when petrol and diesel prices skyrocketed, everyone suddenly was really interested in the EV and they were flying off the shelves. 
So it doesn't take much for a situation like this to be reversed. That said, I think there's a lot that we still have to tackle. I think perhaps um, there's murmurings at the minute about a lot more public charge points arriving this year. Not necessarily rapid charge points, but ones on street corners and things like that. Uh, because of a, the government, kind of the wheels of government have only just started clicking into place on this. And they've been wearing away for the last two years through various procurement um, mm. tracks and all that sort of stuff. So supposedly things will get better this year, which I really hope they do, because otherwise it's just a nightmare, isn't it? Well, they need they need to get better. Uh, need to get better. <laughs> need to get better. Um, <laughs> talking of which, Becca, we're running around in an Audi at the moment. You've been driving this S SQ8, just as I have. Without wanting to lead the witness, what are your thoughts on it? I quite like it now. I know you don't like it. But I just no, think I it was a bit jarring going from the RS6 to that. So I was willing to give it a chance. Can I say what I actually wanted to talk about? Yes, yeah, of course you can. Because I think the SQ8 is a, a boring topic. It's too expensive for what it is, but that's because it's an Audi. I don't actually think the range is that bad because we don't. We only need to charge it once a week, but James insists on charging it all the time because he likes me to pay extra, uh, extraordinary amounts for electricity. <laughs> um, but what I that so the one thing I think I think customers actually want EVs they're just too expensive because I think proof of that is MG when you make a car that is has a decent range at a good price people go out and buy them they're everywhere same thing with a lot of Kias there's a lot of like the cheaper EVs people will buy them because I, I think genuinely think a lot of people want to go green it's just really hard for them particularly if you're not in the position to buy a new car or you're not in the position to buy a charger, as we found. It's like, just ends up costing so much money. How much was your charger of... out of interest, apart from the planning permission? How much was it? Like the charger. The charger. Uh, I think I paid £800 for it, and I got a bit of a discount. Yikes. Yeah, I was going to say it was subsidised slightly, wasn't it? But Yeah. Mm. Um, but also, this is a good, good time that I'm on the podcast, because I love talking about my grandma getting a new car. I thought you might. <laughs> So the motability is, yeah, is, so, is here is one of the disposal methods for EVs. And yes, so she has wanted to get an EV for ages. She's been, what did she have before? I can't remember what she had before, but she ended up going in. She wanted a Duke and then she went into a Qashqai, but she really wanted to get an EV. So she tried loads of different ones, really liked the Fiat 500. But all of the, the problem she always finds is she doesn't want to pay the advance payment. She just wants a, a zero advance payment. And there's not a lot of EVs that you can get like that, but she's, managed to get um a Peugeot E208 which she loves but what I found hilarious was so she lives on her own on um like a little caravan park kind of thing surrounded by old men who all wanted to come over when she had her charging point put in which is also um motability pay for the charging points to go in which is great mm. but they all wanted to come over and tell her what a huge mistake she was making I think to the point she is not the sort of person that listens to what anybody else thinks but I think she felt like so many people were telling her it was a bad idea. My uncle as well was like, why are you doing this? And I think a lot of people's feeling on EVs comes from people who have absolutely zero experience with EVs. Mm. Or James, who also hates them. I don't, no, 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 that's unfair. I don't hate electric vehicles. I just dislike the fact they cost so much money um, and are sometimes unusable. I don't mm. want to buy, I don't want to have to spend £120,000 on a vehicle that is going to be less usable than a vehicle that costs less than that. You know, I. Is that what the SQA is? 
£120,000. Yeah, that is just, it's so much money for a car of that size generally. Like, I just yeah. can't understand anyone paying that for that car. But no, I agree with your point about people wanting to buy cheap electric cars, you know, and you know, your point about MG is absolutely valid. You know, the MG4, huge success, uh, and MG sales last year, huge success. So I just think with these, like the, as pointed out in this feature, the Chinese brands coming in, if they can do it with vehicles that are at the right price, um, they are going to they are going to be successful. And it will come at a detriment to existing brands that haven't actually got the vehicles in their range for yeah. Toyota similar ones along those lines if you were buying an equivalent audi that was petrol or diesel how much would it be unknown i can't give you that answer but i'm sure john could google it but um i'm but pretty I just sure think, it's, it's i don't a know i i'm always skeptical on stuff like this and i just think people audi and similar brands bmw for example are trying to claw back some of that investment into the technology by trying to build on that brand thinking people will pay 20 grand over for a because I, I sort of in my head i don't know if i'm stuck in the past but in my head i think the equivalent car wouldn't be more than 80 but 98 97,385 pounds is, is that the, from uh, though we should we should point out james that you have specified that each yeah. with ridiculous orange paint and bang mm. and, and all these other things let's i think move on the list let's price are broadly the same anyway Let's move on. Yes, um, right, do. I am going to pick a completely different topic, and I'm going to go for uh, used car prices. So we had an update from Darren Martin from Cap HBI on Monday uh, on the January used car prices, and they fell just 0.1% in the month. And this comes off the back of some quite serious falls in the last quarter of 2023. Um, those last three months, 10.5% fall we saw in used car prices but now as the markets opened up again in january um people are out there buying again uh, especially in the trade and that's giving these these trade values a little bit of a boost so some positive positive news there from from darren um this month which was nice to see we've seen plenty of falls um over the back end of last year um, and everybody has been asking what was going to happen at the start of this year and now now we know just a a very very marginal drop it's actually equivalent of a hundred pounds and um darren actually said that he he thinks that in february uh we might even see prices um rise again and possibly even in march it all depends what happens with the new car registrations in march key key month for the motor industry as we all know um, if they those used cars flood back into the market, it could have a bit of a bit of an impact. But an interesting video update from Darren on our YouTube channel. You can go and find it. Um, but what I took from that, it was nice to see that the markets opened up again. It follows on from that chat that I had with Nathan Coe the week before, CEO of Auto Trader, who said there is some positivity in the market. I've spoken to a couple of dealer bosses this week who said they've had some really good January used car sales. So it's not all bad news out there, John. Um, it's quite nice to see some some positivity. And I think that's hopefully going to be the start of some more of that to come. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not going to, not to bang the EV drum again, but it seems to be that diesel and petrol were both up 2%, weren't they? And EVs yeah. were down 1.8% with hybrids, sort of similar amount. So it's, it's really just, it's, it's, yeah, it's all a bit all over the place, isn't it? But EVs seem to be, dragging stuff down still that said you can't tar all evs with the same brush this is what darren always says to us so like a zoe has stayed level but a q4 e-tron has dropped four percent 
So it's a yeah, but it's I'm talking nonsense. In general, it's all very positive. Yeah, definitely. So a quick used car market update for you there. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Um, I am going to talk about uh, Inchcape. Oh, I was going to do that. Yeah, well, inevitably you can talk about this one for me. Um, but very surprising news earlier this week, Inchcape... Uh, announced well there were rumors weren't there that Inchcape were looking to offload all 70 of its sites across the UK um I think Sky News first reported this it was yeah um so they're working with Rothschild bankers to see if they can find any buyers for them but they they've issued a statement since then Inchcape and they've said well they're not they're not desperate to do it but they are sort of testing the waters aren't they um, Typical car, car salesman there. Well, <laughs> very true. Well, yeah, had, we've had loads of interest in this uh, set of dealerships. There are loads of interest. If you want to place a deposit now, I can yeah. uh, put a reservation on it, and uh, you can come and pick it up when you want. Mm. Well, what they've said is Inchcape confirms that following approaches from a number of interested parties, it's reviewing strategic options for the UK retail business, which potentially could include a sale. Mm. It's, they've obviously had loads of interest. I mean, it's just you only had to look at that market activity at the back end of last year with Lookers and the Pendragon deal being sealed to to those two American bidders. There were other parties out there, weren't there? Heading um, and Penske Automotive, who were bidding for those those businesses, uh, especially the, the the Pendragon ones. They got spurned, and they they're obviously looking elsewhere. So I'm I was I was shocked when this came out, John, but I wasn't surprised. Hmm. So who's your money on then? So who's my money on? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Well, I've heard some like weird rumors this week. Like, could it be Virtue trying to buy them and trying to get all build up themselves up into such a big position that they are unbuyable by other people? I didn't really buy that. Buy that rumor. I think the smart money is probably on heading. You know, they've sold out most of their shares that they had in Pendragon. Um, they've cashed in on that. They had 28% um, when they started, and they've been slowly diluting that as this deal has been going through. Um, we know that they want to come to the UK, um, and we know that a business like Inchcape would interest them. So I would, wouldn't be surprised if it's heading. The interesting thing there would be, um, Dash Gupta, who's obviously left the industry, um, previously had a job at Inchcape, didn't he? Uh, he moved from Inchcape to Marshalls. If anything was going to tempt him back into the industry, I wonder whether it might be Inchcape falling into somebody else's hands and them needing somebody to run it. I don't know. That's uh, I like a bit of speculation, so there's some speculation for you. Um, I think the other um, the other smart money is on is on the Americans, John. Um, they've got they've got huge balance sheets. They could pay for that those dealerships in cash. Um, we know that they've got an appetite to come here, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see another bidding war like we did for like we did for Pendragon's assets. 
Well, I hope so. It'll give us something to write about. Yeah. Well, there's another one disappears. Another news source disappears. In I know. Broadcast. All the PLCs yeah. go in. Well, I think you sent me a message earlier this week, didn't you? The Mark Lavery prophecy from Cardia Live last year continues to mm. continues to come true. He told us, didn't he, on stage? You might have got your timing slightly off, but yes. Not far off, though. He said by the end of 2023, he didn't think there would be any publicly listed car dealer groups. I mean, how he knew that, I don't know. But we've lost two. Maybe going to be losing another one. And that leaves, what's it leave? A few left, few left out there sitting ducks. Hmm. Over to you, James. Oh, really? Uh, well, yes. Becca, what, what did you think about that one? Were you surprised when that interesting news came out? Sort of, sort of not. They're a bit, well, they're a weird company, aren't they? They're not pure car dealerships, and it always seemed to be like a bit of the thorn to them, but was making enough money. It probably do really well in someone else's hands who really wants to grow that business. Um, but yeah, I was, I was trying to think who I think would buy it. Who knows, really? I think that's what the last year has shown us. Like anyone can come out of the woodworks and yeah. But yeah. is Inchcape UK based or is it? It's not, is it? Yeah, it's UK based. UK it listed. Is. Yeah. So UK. potentially another foreign company could come in, and that shrinks as well the number of dealerships that are UK owned. Yeah, you do make a point there that the car dealership business for Inchcape is a very small cog in their much larger the business. They logistics. concentrate on distribution around the world and make decent margins on that where they don't when it comes to selling cars so it's slightly unsurprising they're looking to move them on but yeah i was quite shocked when that news came out but interesting to see what happens with that right shall i move us on john mm -hmm. um i've got quite a number to pick from now but i am going to go with um news from bca um and the reason i picked this story is because after publishing it, we had a lot of emails, didn't we, from people who were in similar situations and wanted help. So let me explain. This is BCA refunding a used car dealer for a BMW that was damaged after sale following our investigation. So this was Martin Miller, co-founder of um, the used car dealership EV Experts. Um, they contacted us for a bit of help with a problem car they bought it was a 72 plate bmw ix3 but they bought on an online auction from bca it had been listed with some minor damage um all of which he'd allowed for in his bidding but when he went to collect the bmw he said that the driver's door had been damaged and poorly repaired well he sent me a lot of pictures and a video one of those pictures i've included in the story you can find on our website and you can see that it has been poorly repaired it is pretty much a different color to the rest of the car this door he thinks they used the wrong paint on it um and obviously that devalued the car from what he paid for it it was nearly forty thousand pounds just shy of that including the buyer's fee um and now he was left with he likes to sell very clean cars he was left with a not very clean car that he needed to repair and repair properly so he went back to bca and said hang on a minute this damage is cl clearly hadn't happened when I bid on the car. So it's happened in between the hammer coming down and it being delivered to him. BCA haven't told him about it, allegedly. Uh, they've just simply repaired the car um, and, and told him to come and pick it up. BCA's point was that it hadn't changed the grade of the car. Um, where, whereas he, uh, Martin says, well, clearly it has done. It's definitely devalued it. It's now a damaged vehicle that's worth a lot less than I paid for. And it was something that wasn't like that when I bid for it. Well, he hit a complete brick wall with BCA 
when I spoke to him, he'd been back and forwards with customer services. They'd es escalated it to a senior person who'd basically said, the problem's yours. Um, you need to come and pick up the car and we're going to start charging you for the charging you for storing it here at, here at BCA Blackbush. And it was at that point he contacted me. Um, I put a email inquiry into the press team at BCA. I didn't hear back from them. Um, four days later, I chased it up again, knowing that they got it. Some people I emailed many, many times over the years um, that I didn't hear back from them. So I contacted Martin again and just said, look, I'm sorry, I haven't heard back from um, BCA yet, their, their press team. Lo and behold, he said, don't worry, James, I had a phone call yesterday from their operations director. Uh, it's clearly come off the back of your you pressing them um, and giving them a prod. And they've promised to give me all of my money back. Thank you for solving the problem for me. So Martin was absolutely delighted. Um, I went to Constellation Automotive Group uh, for a comment and their comment was no comment. Um, but clearly uh, it's been solved and it's uh, it's one of those problems that has sparked a bit of interest, hasn't it? I mean, you're on the emails too. And we've mm. had quite a few from people who've had similar issues, haven't we? We have, yeah. I'm hoping you'll talk about them because I haven't read every single one because I've barely no, been well, Unfortunately, I have read every single one. Not unfortunately. Fortunately, I've read every single one and I've had to reply to them saying, I'm afraid we can't get involved in every single one of these because that would be no. all, we, all we would be doing. <laughs> Is solving those issues. Yes, our new uh, BCA watchdog arm uh, is yet to open. I, I thought is yeah, I thought it was an interesting story. This, I mean, I I wonder how many of these things happen and we have no idea that they occur. It did slightly well, a whole Facebook group for it. Oh, is there really? Mm -hmm. mm. My point on this, John, is I, is they it shouldn't take us to get involved to get these problems resolved. They should be resolving them. That was clearly an issue that had happened. They put their hands up after we prodded them and, um, and gave them his money back. So they, it shouldn't take us number one Two, they have eventually done the right thing. Why not just come back to us and say with a comment saying, we're sorry, we made a mistake on this occasion and we've decided to give uh, the money back to the, to the, to the dealer. Why just remain silent and not say anything? Well, unfortunately, I don't think Constellation like us very much. I'm not really sure why that is, because we haven't said anything nasty about Constellation or BCA. We've asked them questions that are difficult, but they don't like those. Have sort of been stonewalled by them a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that is their tactic. I think that's their style, John. If I'm honest, rather than anything that we've done. But then, that's my story. BCA. I, I do have an uh, I do have an anecdote to add to that, which is that I had a press card delivered from. BCA from an unknown uh, manufacturer, no, not an unknown manufacturer, a manufacturer I won't name. Uh, okay. BCA handle all their company cars and their press fleet and all this sort of stuff. And it arrived. And do you know, one of the doors had been badly repaired. Um, yeah, it was slightly different, slightly different color. And also crucially, um, they'd on this particular low spec car they had put the wrong door on it so they put i think they'd taken one off a, a different car which was perhaps a higher specification and had a single bit of chrome trim on the top of this door so it was the only bit of chrome on the car and that was it and when i contacted the manufacturer to say uh, just so you know this is a bit weird um they said they were very confused by that because bca hadn't actually notified them of any repairs to the car that they own so i just thought I mean, that's obviously not, that's a different arm of BCA to this, which is the auction house at Blackbush. But I thought that was a strange coming together of two events there in the same. Yes, definitely.
I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know about our brilliant event we've got coming up on March the 7th. It's called Car Dealer Live 2024 and it takes place at the British Motor Museum at Gaydon. Well, we'll have a packed day of sessions to help car dealers, just like you, improve your business. Tickets are available now at cardealerlive.co.uk with a special rate for car dealers. On the day, I'll have headline interviews with franchise car dealer boss Peter Vardy and big motoring world groups Peter Wardell. To find out more and book your tickets, visit cardealalive.co.uk now. Right, back to the podcast. Right, I think it's your turn, isn't it? Uh, yes, okay. I will go with... Um, <laughs> so there was a story we ran a little while ago, I think earlier last year, late last year, about a, uh, a gentleman who works in a car dealership in Ireland. Um, and he'd had a little bit of misfortune because um, he had gone on holiday says the dealership it was an unauthorized holiday and in this holiday in the Algarve he'd bumped into his boss and awkward yeah <laughs> the result of that was uh he was sacked but it, it all went to a tribunal which is how we heard about it but the tribunal has this week ruled and it's ruled in favor of the dealer who was sacked so apparently the uh the dealership in question in Ireland didn't go through the procedures uh, that it should have done, and sacked him unfairly, which I thought, and he was awarded costs of ten thousand pounds or something. So that's, that's yeah, an interesting think, end to that story. I think. Did you mention it was an unauthorized holiday? I think that's pretty critical, isn't it? The fact did you say unauthorized? Or yes, authorized? unauthorized. Well, that that depends who you're asking, of course, James. Because oh, the, does it? Oh, is that the it, crux of the story? Well, that's not the crux of the story. I think it's that they, you know, he was let go of. Uh, without the proper procedures being followed. But there's some debate about whether it was authorised or unauthorised. So, mm. Oh, yes. In in his evidence, I didn't get a yes. I didn't get a no. Um, and he just thought it should be okay. So he went on holiday to the same place as his boss. Yeah. <laughs> very, very awkward. I mean, that would ruin your holiday, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, and his career. Well, just generally. And his career. But however, he's been found to be in the right. So... Yeah. I mean, I have a similar anecdote, but it's about when I worked in the garden centre. Go on. There was a, <laughs> there was somebody a garden worked centre there. story. There was someone who worked there who, um, you know how you can put feed into like the watering, the watering system and you go around and water all the plants, but he put weed killer in instead. <clears> so <throat> it killed loads of plants. And they obviously just went, you're fired. And, um, and then they went to a tribunal and they had to bring him back because they'd fired him incorrectly. Um, and then like weeks after he came, back i'm pretty sure he crashed a forklift truck and then they had to start the process of firing him correctly oh god so this just yeah. shows doesn't it all these things logistics tell us about employment law pay attention yeah. to them or you'll have to hire yeah. back the man who put weed killer in the irrigation system or you can even end up having to pay them money to all that apologize. yeah right i'm going to move this on from weed killer Please um, do. <laughs> sorry yeah, that's fine <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to uh, pick a story that I that was an incredibly sad one, actually, and really shocked me. This is news that SUV Prestige, the award-winning dealership, uh, has been forced to close due to difficult trading conditions, says the uh, used car dealership. So this was the business run by Steve and Satinda Dacey. They have been fantastically successful in our used car wars over the last few years. 
Um, they've both won Dealer Principal of the Year in 2022 and then 2023. So Satinda picked it up just a well less just over a month ago, wasn't it? Or two months ago at our Used Car Awards in at the end of November. Um, but that business had grown rapidly. It was stocking up to 300 uh, luxury vehicles as well as four by fours. Fantastic reviews online. Um, and one of the reasons they've been very successful in our awards is great reviews. And actually, whenever we have mystery shop them, very, very, very good. Um, but sadly, um, it, they've, they've, they've come a cropper of some, for, for some reason. We don't actually know how and why. Um, we did speak to Steve. He said it's not been a great time for the company. Unfortunately, due to difficult trading conditions, they've had to close the business. And they're now focusing on trying to find alternative employment for all their amazing staff. We did speak to one of their staff members, too, who was absolutely glowing um, in praise for, for Steve and Satinda, saying how they understood why the business had got into difficulties. Um, they were incredibly sad about it, but nothing but respect for the for the two bosses. And I think that shows you the sorts of people that, that Steve and Satinda are, um, very, very caring. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I, I don't want to guess what's happened there, but I think it might be something to do with the huge drop in those 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 um, trade values or of used car prices back in the last year. If you're stocking 300 cars, that's going to be a big pill to swallow and very, very painful. And I think when you see the, these sorts of stories with, with these size of dealerships, you wonder what's going to happen to the likes of Cinch, to the likes of Kazoo, who have got huge stocks. Um, and those those drops in value will be incredibly painful for those businesses. We've already heard from Motorpoint, haven't we, last week, how that is in, how that's impacted their business. They're looking at a six to nine million pound loss this financial year. Um, and I think that's going to it's going to impact some of those bigger businesses further. But, yeah, I'm very, very sad to to report all that news. I think when we saw it, we were all very, very shocked about it. And um, hopefully it's not a used car awards curse, as some people have pointed out. Yes, that did occur to me, actually. Um, but, yeah, no, I was very sad to read that. And it, it does just show how difficult things are at the moment, doesn't it? It's not just it's it's not just car prices. It's interest rates, isn't it? You know, um, not buyers are struggling with it, and also if you're financing all that stock yourself, not that we know if they were or not. No, but that is a problem. Yeah, very, very sad news. So, yeah, some sad news. But move us on from that, John, if you can. Something more positive. Uh, um, not really more positive. Um, Group One Automotive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So news this week that they are going to axe about 10% of their UK jobs in the first three months of 2024. So this was a bit of a bombshell announcement as they um, announced their full year results. So their CEO says UK operations, because of course they are an American company, aren't they? So they are based in here and America. Um, the UK operations have faced challenges during the current quarter. Um, higher expenses and lower margins are the problem um and uk revenue although uk revenue and profit went up last year i think costs have just spiraled haven't they and yeah. they're finding it very difficult um there is a figure buried in here that i saw where it's, oh, it's gross profit per unit has dropped um so it was um 
it was £2,957, so just under three grand last year. It's now dropped a little bit more to two eight nine nine. Um that's for new, sorry. Yeah, used is eleven percent down on last year's figure. So it's not an easy place to exist as a used car dealer, is it, James? No, certainly isn't, John. Um I was I found this um this news very, very shocking. Again, more more sad news. It came out on the same day, didn't it, I think, as the SUV prestige news. Mm. Um the the thing about this one is the, the they Group One have to are, are based in the states and they have to report what's happening via um, via the the stock markets. And normally those announcements are very very carefully stage managed. They are very careful with how they write them and where they put stuff. And normally, when you're reporting on them, you have to read them very carefully to find out where the news angle is. Mm. Um, and and with news like that, they normally absolutely bury it. But John Bowman, who wrote this story, and I was talking to about uh, about it with him, he said that news that they were cutting those jobs was right at the top, front and centre, um, about why they're doing it. And I said, well, what else are they trying to hide if that is the news that they want to get out first? I mean, it is, it is a shock. Um, and it comes because I think these sorts of businesses... They have to. It's all about profits when you're listed on the uh, mm -hmm. when you're listed on the stock markets, and it's very short term. It's quarterly. They're regularly reporting their profits every quarter, uh, and they need to need to show shareholders that they're they're acting quickly. Family run businesses on the other side, um, like those that we've spoken to this week and for other for other podcasts, can make more longer term decisions. And actually, if it, if that means they can make longer term decisions. It means they can look after staff and think it might be a bit tougher now, but it will get better. Um, but yeah, very sad to see that news from Group One. And it obviously comes off the back of those big redundancies, redundancies at Lookers. And I hate to say it, I don't think this will be the last story about redundancies we'll be writing uh, in the first part of this year. No, and that's very sad. And I think when we looked at the Lookers thing, we sort of looked at it with the... Um, with the view that it probably was just look as by itself but perhaps it's not you know when we were looking at the lookers thing we were thinking well they've they financed it at this rate shall we say yeah. um and they need to claw back some money don't they and i thought it was with that in mind that they were doing it but perhaps we are in very difficult trading conditions at the minute yeah well i think we are i think we are right shall i move us on to a, uh, my last story mm-hmm uh, and I would just like to talk JLR parts. Oh, uh, I forgot that was this week. Because once again, uh, there is a JLR parts issue. Um, and this comes about the fact that so, so last year we were talking about the fact that JLR had rationalized all of their, um, all, all of their parts um, centers across the country. They had 18 of them into one big super center and they dubbed this project, um, Mercia. I don't know why they've called it Mercia. Because I think that's the region, James, if I'm... Is it? Yeah. Wow. It's like... <laughs> I, I thought it was a code name, like they were a Bond villain. But no, Mercia hasn't been successful, has it? Um, it's caused uh, huge parts problems at dealers across the country. At one point, 10,000 cars were off the road. 5,000 customers were driving around in courtesy cars. Um, and now there's lots of groups popping up on Facebook, one of them called the Jaguar Land Rover Alliance Group. Uh, sounds like sounds the very, 
I was thinking very Mr. Bates versus the post office. This it does, or the sort of group that wants to oust the prime minister. Yeah, the um, this is the Jaguar Land Rover Alliance group, um, and they've got problems with power steering on um, the La and F pace models. Um, and they some of those people have been told they're going to have to wait for a year for their parts, which I find very hard to believe, but um, very very worrying if it's true. Um, JLR came back to us with a quite a comprehensive comment on this one where they admitted that yeah things are getting better but they're still not quite good enough um there's still a third of those cars previously mentioned off the road with parts um and they're still struggling to to get on top of this problem so it's something that's impacting jlr customers across the country and obviously the dealers are uh, having to bear the brunt of this mm. so jlr invested a lot into making their cars less stealable but this seems to be a continuing issue, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think the theft thing did impact um, values, didn't it? You know, like when we were talking to Jamie and we were at the auction, and I've seen anecdotally a few things, lots of Range Rovers and things going through and nobody really picking them up or certainly not picking them up for the prices that they perhaps would have been a year ago or two. Yeah. Yeah, they need to get on I it soon. They do. I think that's the key to why JLR products are always top of the... Um when we do the best margin cars or whatever it is, those mm. stories, because people are desperate to get rid of them. And yeah, dealers through dealer options. Better prices, but people still want to buy them. Yeah. But what, um, what I thought was interesting with the um, JLR thing, I don't know if you mentioned this in the in your article, but that lots of these customers, are, they want it to be a safety recall, this um, power steering problem. Oh, power, yes, power steering problem. And I just made me think, like, what at what point does things have to become a safety recall? If I don't know if these cars are too old or well, no, you see, safety recalls. I think there's no real age limit on it. Yeah, uh, so, to be honest, I don't know enough detail about it, but obviously, a lot of these people are saying the age-old kids in the car, and I stop working on the motorway. Yeah. But like, yeah, I suppose you can but... still steer if your power steering goes, but well, not very, not very easily, yeah. No, I mean, I don't know at what point it transitions into something where they, they, you know, contact the DVSA and do all that sort of stuff. Well, I think they are. Well, a lot of these one. customers have. Yeah, yeah. Right. The DVSA are investigating this one. There was a comment from um, uh, Jaguar Land Rover on that, and they said, we work closely with the DVSA and assist with any of its inquiries. Details of our current updates, including campaigns and recalls, are available online or through our retailers. Bit of balance there for you, John. Bit of balance. Well done. Yeah, excellent. Thank you kindly. That's it. I'm out. Stories done. Okay. Um, I'm going to squeeze one more in, which oh, is uh, there's a new diesel scandal, sort of. <laughs> Not quite to the same scale of, of VW, uh, but the Toyota CEO in Japan has had to say sorry to car dealers, suppliers and customers for flawed tests of diesel engines. Now, luckily for Toyota, they don't actually make many diesel engines anyway. It pretty much goes into the Hilux, um, the Land Cruiser. There's not many diesel products, but in uh, there's been an issue with their um, Toyota Industries factories in Japan, which make diesel engines um, needed for Japanese government approval. But fake results were found in the certification testing and other sampling inspections for engines that claimed the products met standards when they didn't, said Toyota. Um, so they had to sort of hastily call a news conference and bow in the way that Japanese executives do uh, to say sorry for these things. 
Um, but this follows hilariously. There was a, a similar thing going on at Daihatsu. Daihatsu, I don't know if anyone remembers those, made hilariously small cars uh, that we had in, in the UK for 30 odd years, no longer. Is there, they, you, they do own 100% of they do own 100% of Daihatsu, but of course, we don't we don't see any Daihatsus anymore. No. Unless you're at John's house. Yeah. <laughs> the Perodua. Um, anyway, yes. So diesel issues still ongoing, but this, I don't think it affects a huge number of cars, this, does it? It's 36,000 on a global level, which is, compared to the VW one, not really that many. So what I'm hoping is that we don't now suddenly see even more adverts every time you go onto a web page saying have you owned a toyota in the last three years you might be entitled to compensation da, 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 da. call john now <laughs> he'll help you somehow no i won't I'll tell you to just get on with it um that's me out excellent james oh, oh no, i say something now sorry james yeah, you, you say something yeah oh, it's all going very well this podcast so rebecca um yeah. Before I ask your verdict, are there any stories we've missed this week? Um, there was one of my favourite stories this week, which was um, the missing detail on the warranty wise advert. Oh, how do we forget that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this was. I just there's so many things about this story that I love. That basically Lawrence Whitaker, who owns Warranty Wise, put adverts out. I think it was fifty. They're going to put put fifty placements out, but there were six along the M62 and M6 or something. But the way they've been printed means that it's missed out the warranty, which is supposed to be an orange, so it just says wise.co.uk, the UK's best car and van warranty. But, I mean, you can imagine doing billboards. There's, like, so much that can go wrong with, like, the printing. Mm -hmm. You might see it and be like, oh, it's not quite right. Or you might not see it at all because you might have run a company where those billboards are in places you never go by. But you can just imagine being Lawrence Whitaker driving down the, the M62 or whatever it was and going, oh. Why? Why is Ed China standing next to the word wise? Yeah, yeah. with a really big gap. <laughs> well, the best, my favorite bit about this story is uh, Lawrence said the executive that had sold him the uh, the space sent him a text message with a picture saying, We're off. <laughs> like, we're done it. We're ready. We've put your adverts out. And he's, he's looked at it and gone, We're off. No, you're fired. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh dear, oh dear. Okay. Oh, I think Rebecca's won. Um Yeah, can't believe we forgot that. Um go on. So who who do you pick now, the two of us? Or which stories? Um, I should have thought about this as we were going along. Um, yeah, you did come up with the concept of this podcast. I mean, you know how it works. I know, yes, I was no, focusing I've, too I've much on it. trying to remember stories. Um I think I'll have to go with the EV story. You, John. Is that me? But it's James's story, so... Yeah, it's true. So you're both winners. But mainly. (laughs) But mainly, John. John. (laughs) I want John to win because I felt so... I was so annoyed with that person who was mean to him in the comments on YouTube. (laughs) I nearly went in to, like, defend him. You have no (laughs) idea what it's like working for James. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Working for him stroke. I may I may appear smug, but you take every win that you can get. That's my my argument for that. (laughs) Well, on that note, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Rebecca for judging today. Lovely to have you back on. And if you would ever like to take this back over, feel free. Not a problem. (laughs) And thank you as well to James uh, for whatever it is James did, writing half the stories. Uh, And 
not talking too much about his cars this week. We'll be back next week with another episode, so make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you want to check out the stories we mentioned today, take a look in the show notes below or head to cardealermagazine.co.uk. Thanks for listening and goodbye.